great to see you all here. Uh, my name is Doug Fullington, and this is our PMB Conversations event before uh, we will watch dress rehearsal. And uh, we're going to be hearing from our choreographers Donald Bird and Danny Rowe in conversation with Peter Bowl tonight. But just before they come in, I just want to give you a little rundown of the timetable. Uh, we'll enjoy the conversation here until just ahead of 6.30. And then the doors will open in the auditorium upstairs and you'll be able to claim your seat. And then you'll have until 7 o'clock when dress rehearsal begins. So that's how the evening is going to work. And uh, without... Anything else to say? I'm happy to welcome our artistic director, Peter Bowl, and our guests. Come on in. Thanks for joining us tonight, everybody. We're happy to have you here. Uh, Doug's giving you the order of the evening, and I'll keep my eye on my watch here as we go to make sure that you're in there to be seated to see this great dress rehearsal for this interesting program. So very excited to be sitting here with these two people who have contributed tremendous amounts to this program. Welcome, welcome to PMB and welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah, we have a great program here. Um, I know you know a bit about these two and you have bios in your program. Um, one of these choreographers, we were just saying in the hall, has worked with PNB um, for 25 days. And the other has worked with PNB for 25 years. <laughs> it was 1998 that we saw Capricious Night, first work that you made for PNB. And um, it's been seven works in total since then for you, Donald. Yeah. How have you seen this company change over time? Or how has it stayed the same? Um, how has it, how I've seen it change? I, I think one of the ways that it's changed is, I, I think, and this is, I think it's what's happening in the dance world in general. I think the dancers appear to be more uh, versatile, that they're able to move from classical works to contemporary works with a lot more ease than they used to. I mean, they could do it before, but it was, it sometimes it felt like a little bit of a stretch, which was good. Uh, but I think now there's kind of, they appear to be really used to it, and they just kind of, they don't think about it, just go right from whatever is required stylistically and just go right into it. To me, that seems to be the biggest difference. Yeah, yeah. And you're... That's one, and then also we were talking about the diversity, the way the company looks is very different than what it was 25 years ago as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There certainly has changed, and I think there's some constants as well. Um, Danny, you're discovering a company for the first time. I know you've seen PNB before, but first time getting in the studio with dancers. What's it been like to meet new dancers and dig into that process? It's been beautiful. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I haven't had a long relationship with PNB, but um, I've admired the company from afar for a long time, and I've recognized the versatility of the of the dancers and the diversity in the repertoire and um, that's always interested me um, but being in the studio with the dancers they're very open very generous um, and very focused there's no there's no distraction at all um, so it was very easy to get in the zone with them um, so it's been a real pleasure some people might start light uh, with, with sort of what they're trying to portray in a ballet, not Danny Rowe. <laughs> this one was a deep dive into sort of the emotional input. 
um, asking a lot for dancers, not just their dancing, but their, their emotional investment as well. Tell us about the nature of the piece. Some people may know, some people may not. Yeah, well, when you first asked me to make a piece, um, I had a very different idea. Yeah. Um, and we weren't able to get the rights for this particular story. And so I had to pivot. Um, and I wasn't really sure what direction I wanted to go in. And then I had this uh, conversation with a colleague of mine um, about this story called The Living Room. Uh, and she'd heard it on a podcast. <laughs> And she said, oh, Danny, I think you should listen to it. And she described it to me as well, and I was so moved. So I did, and I just immediately thought it would make the most beautiful ballet. And then I knew that that's what I wanted to do for PMB. Um, and I just had this day where I, it all kind of came together of how I imagined it would play out. Um, and I just knew that I wanted to keep it as simple as possible and just have these three characters. And um, yeah, I think, I, I don't know um, why I knew, but I just knew that it would be right for PMB. I think also after coming in, seeing the dancers um, perform and seeing their commitment to both contemporary and classical movement, um, I just felt like it was a real possibility to go there with them. Uh, just for the audience to know, you'll discover this very soon, but this is about a 25-26 minute work and there's only three dancers in it. Um, so there's a level of intensity placed on dancers. They're often on stage almost the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, much bigger cast over there, Donald Byrd. So, uh, can you tell us a little bit about Love and Loss? It doesn't, the loss doesn't, for the only program, only ballet on the program tonight doesn't refer to death, does it? It refers but to... there's a recorded death. There's a recorded death? Okay. There's a recorded death. Tell us what love and loss refers to. Like, what's the um, piece about? What does loss uh, yeah, mean? Yeah, I see. Uh, it does not refer to death. Uh, <laughs> the, the loss is about the, the loss of uh, a relationship. Uh, it was uh, inspired by a friend of mine, I, a composer. He was the composer who wrote the music for the piece. Uh, he gave me the music earlier, and I had worked with it. It was original form of it. It was a string quartet. And I worked with that, and it was, uh, I was in uh, Israel at the Israeli Opera uh, Tel Aviv, and I was working on a piece, and he came to visit me, he lives in Jerusalem, he came to visit to say hello. And how I remembered him, uh, at the time, how I remembered him being previous to this was somebody who was very sunny and open and uh, uh, generous, and he showed up, and there was kind of, there was a shadow over him. And uh, it, it, to me, it seemed very much not like him. And finally, I asked him what was going on. And he said, well, he had had difficulties in his marriage, and his wife had left him. And so he was sitting in that space. And, um, and you know, and so I thought, well, OK, I think I'll, for this piece that I wanted to work with that as an idea, take the string quartet music, he expanded it into uh, uh, for string orchestra and electronics, and so that is really what it is. It's about the loss of a relationship and the kind of, uh, perhaps the grieving for the relationship and like that. 
this program, um, the director didn't really think about this when he made it, but it is um, a lot of heavy emotion in this program. Um, as many of you know, Alexei Ratmansky makes um, a comment, which is probably not the right phrase, but, but really addresses the war in Ukraine with the first piece. Um, Danny's piece is definitely about loss um, in the sense of you losing a life and um, the bond between three people on that stage over that loss. And Donald's piece deals with relationships, their connection and their missed connection. My question is, it seems to me like none of those topics necessarily would have fallen into ballet or dance in one point. But dance now seems to be able to be more versatile in what it addresses. Um, Donald, I think of your work that addresses social justice and racism, um, which we're lucky enough to see with Spectrum Dance Theater on a regular basis. But what do you think the possibilities of dance are and what are the limitations of dance, if there are any, in expressing concept? Uh, I, I think the biggest uh, challenge with dance and, and with uh, complex uh, issues um, is that it can't be specific in the way that language can be. Uh, I think Mark Brandt said that there are, no, or Agnes DeMille, one of those ladies, uh, said that there are no mother-in-laws in dance. It's hard to kind of, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't, uh, That's balancing. I think it was balancing. Yeah. Well, here I am again with Mr. B, you know. Uh, there are no mother-in-laws in balance. That's hard. I mean, yeah, program knows you go, oh, that's the mother-in-law. But you can't actually, looking for, at what people are doing, it's kind of difficult to, uh, to kind of make those distinctions. And I think that's true. Uh, uh, with dance. Dance can uh, give you the emotional uh, subtext of uh, relationships and of situations uh, uh, in a very profound way, but it can't, I don't believe, can, I mean, maybe it can. If I had a couple of years and I'd go in the studio and go, okay, we're going to figure out how to make the mother in law. Uh, you know, uh, but I think generally, I think what it does best is it. it physicalizes uh, emotions, um, uh, uh, internal life of a, a character. It is great at creating, at manifesting through uh, abstraction and through uh, space, the use of space and the configuration of bodies and space uh, relationships that way. I think it, it's great at that. I think other uh, Forms, theatrical forms don't do don't do that as well as dance. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Dan. I don't think that there are any limitations as far as what dance can communicate. For me, I think of dance as the the in between, the in between language, spoken word. It's beyond explanation. Um, being able to understand each other purely through what our body is saying and what our heart is saying and what the rhythm is saying is it's you can't describe it and dance does um, so it's all in between each word that's what dance provides when I first listened to the podcast the living room my first reaction was how would one make this a dance like I, I was just thinking it's two people experiencing life and existence in an apartment another person watching like it doesn't say dance anywhere and then I thought about it and I thought maybe it's perfect for dance because it's a wordless communication that mm -hmm. we're witnessing. Mm -hmm. 
And you said your first reaction was, this is a, absolutely a dance. So I guess that makes you a choreographer, not me. So. Yeah, I, I think of, I guess for me personally, there are so many emotions or relationships or experiences that I have that I can't communicate in words. Um, the feelings are so big or so beyond. Um, I feel like the only way I can express it is through creating dance um, and or seeing dance or seeing a piece of artwork or listening to a piece of music and you try and explain it and you can't and that's the point that's the point of art it's the in-betweens it's, yeah. um, and that's why it's essential it's a, a, a heightened form of communication for us all um, and I think especially when those feelings are so so deep and so um, traumatic or hurtful or whatever, it's also a way of healing, I mm -hmm. think. Um, so yeah, when I heard the podcast, I was like, it's the only way to, to really mm -hmm. wrap my head around what she was talking about, those feelings that she had, was to, to create dance for those yeah. feelings. Can I think what, as you're saying that, I was thinking how when we watch dance, uh, when I watch dance, I'll say it that way, how I experience is a little bit like synapses, like these, they fire, and each image kind of helps, generates another image in my imagination. So in some ways it can be a much richer uh, experience because it's, it's multiple things happening simultaneously mm -hmm. in terms of how you're, how you're experiencing it emotionally. And so, uh, for me, that's what that's what I love about love about dance. That's what I love about making dance. That's what I love about watching dances. I sit there and I'm kind of on this journey. Even though I'm looking at it, there's a whole another journey going on in my head, mm -hmm. which I really appreciate. Uh, work that can actually cause that to happen. And I suspect different for each viewer. People have different experiences, Absolutely. not yours necessarily. Yeah, Donald. Um, you were probably, I would imagine, your earlier choreography, you would stand up and do exactly what you wanted and then wait for a dancer to do it like you did. Yes. And maybe less so now, I'm, I'm guessing here. Absolutely so. not at all now. I try to sit down as soon as possible. Okay. <laughs> um, how do you get the message across, though, with what you're looking for? Um, well, I, how do I get the message across of what I want them to do? I mean, I, I, uh, I use, um, I don't know, I, I talk to them. Uh, and, uh, and the movement is generated through, uh, I give them phrases and ask them to do manipulations on the phrases and then that creates the vocabulary. I kind of know what I'm looking for. They don't quite know yet. And then as they start to work with it and I, I start to compose it and put it together, then the dancers start to get a sense of what it is that I'm after and they, because dancers are so brilliant this way, they take it and they kind of go with it. I go, yeah, that's it. Let's do more of that. And like that, that's how it basically, it, it's now, I think in my life, my process is much more collaborative. I mean, before I was much more dictatorial about it. And, and in some ways, that's the kind of the, 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 how things were in the past. You said, you know, do it like this and do it like, no, I did last night. You know, and, uh, <laughs> but now it's, but you, I, I find myself a lot wanting uh, uh, the input of the dancers, not so much what they think, uh, so much even though what they think shows up in how they do things. And so that's what I kind of 
work towards now kind of creating that an environment that supports that. Yeah. That rewarding for the dancers to have that role in the creation. Um, Danny, I know dancers talked about feeling like they were part of a building. Uh, you were an incredible demonstrator in the studio, but are you open to that? What do they bring to the table? And, and we'll take that as direction. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do start with some phrases just to get the conversation started. Um, and from there, it just kind of evolves. Um, I love to work with multiple casts in the studio. Um, and so I love to, to invite different information from different dancers, um, see what they do with uh, a prompt. Um, yeah, I talk a lot to the dancers as well. Um, and just to see what words resonate with them um, and because they all have different interpretations and it might be like, oh yes, like Leah, go with that, or Liz, like that looks great, let's go in this direction. Um, and so they all, I hope, feel invested in the work because they've all, they've all have put their signature on different parts of the, the choreography. Um, definitely with partnering, I very much rely on um, also the rapport between the two dancers. Um, and so they begin to not only finish my sentences, but each other's mm. sentences. Yeah. Um, like so, every good relationship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and for me, that's just, it's just joyous. Yeah. Like when you get to that stage in the studio where you are, you have this conversation. Um, so it starts um, with me generating material and then it evolves into, into them very much being part of the process with me. Yeah. This question's for both of you. Um, Danny, I'll start with you. I was reading your bio. The choreographers that you've worked with read just like a PMB bio from the last couple of months. So <laughs> you worked with Christopher Wielden, Alexander Ekman, Crystal Pite, yeah. Yuri Killian, Alexei Ratmansky. I mean, it really is our lineup here. But mm -hmm. What do you draw from choreographers that you work with? What, what are the takeaways? What are the, I wouldn't do that myself? Or are you pulling from the choreographers that you've worked with in the past? I've had the great privilege of working with these incredible choreographers um, and I do reference um, a lot of the great choreographers that I've worked with. Um, something that I'm very aware of is uh, the environment in the studio um, and the greatest choreographers that I've worked with have always provided uh, an environment where you feel valued. I think if you feel valued and heard, then you're going to do your best work. So I do try and replicate that environment in the studio. Um, but I mean, some of the greatest people that I've worked with, I think, are the, the storytellers. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily creating literal stories um, uh, with their ballets, but just in how they also communicate in the studio. They kind of absorb you in their work and, and they have a clear vision um, and so you go along with the story that's not only on stage but in the rehearsal process as well. Um, so that's been very inspiring and something I also try and provide in the studio. Um, yeah, every character is so different. Um, like Alexei is genius with, with um, musicality um, and his deep understanding of the history of ballet. 
has so many tools to draw upon and, and someone like Crystal Pike has essentially created her own contemporary movement vocabulary that everyone's copying now, yes. <laughs> um, which is the biggest compliment ever. Um, and then, you know, people like Yuri Killian, who's a poet um, mm. on and off off stage. And uh, yeah, I, 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 I think I've tried, I'm not going to lie, like pulled hopefully the good bits yeah. um, and then polished it in a way that's my own. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, beautiful answer. Donald, um, working with Twyla Tharp, Gus Solomons Jr. Also, you mentioned Balanchine, who I, I don't know if you worked with directly, but you certainly were at the temple every night uh, watching Balanchine, weren't you? <laughs> Talk to me about the influences of those choreographers and others. Um, well, I, I think with Balanchine, I was, I, I think the first, the first time I saw Bally, other than uh, the Nutcracker on television, was, and I don't know whose Nutcracker it was at that time. I mean, it, it might have been Balanchine, but I don't know. Uh, but I do remember the first time I saw uh, anything about George Balanchine. It was electric demonstration. It was uh, Edward Palella and Patricia McBride. And they did excerpts from things, and I think it was right after, that. I think there was a version of what became Ruby's Mm. That was called Capriccio or something like that. Right. Yep. Yeah, and they did an excerpt from that, the duet, the partner from that, and they did, and Lola did Apollo solo. And uh, and I thought, I'm watching it, and I think, oh my God, this is so like amazing. And they're from New York, and they're so sophisticated. Everybody in New York must look like them. That's what I thought. <laughs> and so, um, so that was my, my introduction to balancing it. So then when I moved it, I was just really interested in, and also I studied classical music, and so I knew uh, Stravinsky's music, and that Stravinsky and, and Balanchine had, had collaborated, so I knew who Balanchine was, I just didn't, had no idea what the work looked like. So it was really, I think with Balanchine, the thing that struck me, I mean, you know, people talk about the musicality, and yes, I think it is music, musicality, but it's not like the kind of musicality that mimics the music. It's not, he doesn't Mickey Mouse, basically. He creates very uh, sophisticated structures that operate in uh, uh, parallel with the, the structure of the music. And, uh, and then sometimes they hook up, and then sometimes they diverge. Like one of my favorite things that he does sometimes, that he did sometimes his music, when the music would get really big and blah, 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 the dancers would stop dancing. And, and I thought like, right, you can't match that music, so we'll just stand here, you know? And so, uh, and, and I, I think, I mean, with Twyla, I, what I would say that the, what I took away from my experience with her, and in some ways it was kind of similar to what, what I admire about Merce Cunningham, was a kind of playfulness in the structure and how things were put together and a kind of love of the, the movement itself and let's play around with this and see what happens there. And then also, I think, uh, I mean, I adore, I adored Merce Cunningham and his work and that was the, the when I studied Cunningham technique, um, it was, it felt, it made sense on my body. I mean, that was the, the incredible thing in a sense of my body. And so 
I mean, like many things, you're drawn to something that makes sense to you, it, even if, I mean, intuitively, not necessarily intellectually. And so I think with, uh, with all three of them, I think, excuse me, it's around the structure of the pieces, about uh, how organizing principles. And then I think I have a, I was a student at the Ailey School, and Ailey was the, the first time I saw the Ailey Company. That was the moment that uh, I think I know where I decided that I wanted, I remember thinking uh, anything that can have this kind of effect on people, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so what I got from Ailey was this desire, this strong impulse to, to emotionally connect to things, and then also the importance of uh, dance operating in a social civic context, you might say. And so I try to bring some of that in, into the work that I do. I mean, I don't do it as Patty was saying, but I don't do it the way they did it. You know, I hope I don't, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it's important to acknowledge, it's kind of like your DNA, that's, the, that's my dance DNA, and I, I must acknowledge that in those people, and how I wouldn't be who I am if I had not encountered or experienced yeah. those people. Yeah, it's part of your story. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's part of your story. What, what was your reaction when you got to New York and you saw the people? The real people? Yeah, what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard for you? Or? It was hard. Yeah. No. It was hard. I thought suddenly I was going to be just like glowing for bright, but no. Sometimes I'll program a, a choreographer within the company. It'll be a first chance. And you know, I'll put them on a program and it'll open with, I don't know, what's like, let's say it opens with Apollo and it closes with... Um, you know, a dance is at a gathering, and the choreographers are like, thanks a lot. Yeah. Like, that's the last place I want to be between those two choreographers. Is there a choreographer that you would not want to share a program with? <laughs> because of their brilliance or because it, of some other things? It could be any other things. It could be you feel, yeah, whatever you think. I'm curious. Well, it's interesting because I was in Italy. Carol Armitage was running, had been, was running the the company in Florence, I don't remember what that it was. And I was on the program with uh, Balanchine and Paul Taylor. Mm. <coughs> and I was, you know, I was a little, I didn't quite know what to do with that, so I didn't think about it. <laughs> I bet you did just fine. So. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Danny, any programs you'd like to be avoiding? <laughs> oh, this one is already intimidating. Um, uh, no, I don't have anyone that I wouldn't want to be in a, yeah. on a program. I'd just be, I'd be nervous, but thrilled. Yeah. yeah. But I think if I were programmed with, if the artistic director of a company program I work with some really like amazing people, I would be honored and yeah. flattered that I was actually, yeah. you know, inspired. Inspired. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and some of these programs, you have a 24-year-old Balanchine who's contributing Apollo or Prodigal Son at 25. So it's not a bad place for a fledgling choreographer to be compared to. Mm -hmm. um, Robin's Fancy Free, also 25, so wow. people start young. You talked a little bit, sorry, go ahead. No, I, was, I didn't realize he was only 25 Fancy Free. Yeah, yeah, I think they all were, all those collaborators. Um, yeah. <laughs> you, Donald, you mentioned your composer. I'd love to hear a bit about your collaborators for both pieces. Um, Danny, your composer's here today. Yeah. Mm. 
Um, I'm thrilled that um, along with this commission there is a new score that was commissioned by Shannon Rubani. And Shannon was a dancer with San Francisco Ballet and then went on to Broadway. She was in American in Paris, is an incredible singer, has always composed pretty much her whole life um, for herself. And after Broadway, she became a pop singer and is based in LA. And this is the first score for a ballet company um, ever. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It is. Yeah. Um, and along with Shannon, Emma Kingsbury is the costume designer for the piece. And Emma and I have collaborated quite a few times. Uh, she is also Australian, um, but lives in California. And she started off in film and has since gone into dance and opera. Um, she's incredibly creative and collaborative and her designs are just beautiful. Uh, and also my assistant, Garen Scribner, has been with me in the rehearsals. And what I love about Garen is he's really, he asks really great questions. He challenges me. Um, helps me edit. It's always great to have another pair of eyes um, on the piece as well. So, yeah, some really wonderful people. Mm -hmm. Donald, I'm remembering we had four like seasoned artists with Spectrum come with you when you choreographed Love and Loss. Yeah. And they were a big part of sort of shaping and lifting that room. Right. Talk about the other people involved and them. The other people involved. <laughs> so, the composer. Uh, lighting designer, costume lighting designer, design, well, composer. Lighting designer is Rico Chiarelli, who was resident lighting designer for PMB for how long? A long time. A long time. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so I work with uh, Rico not just here at PMB, but Rico's done work with Spectrum as well. And then uh, I mentioned Emmanuel Bitsum, who is the composer. That I I was a, had a fellowship in Jerusalem, the American Academy of Jerusalem. I met him. He was sitting at a, at a table in a cafe next to me. He was having lunch with someone that I I knew, and so I had wanted to meet him, but suddenly there he was. But uh, I worked with him on a project that was a couple projects that I was doing in Israel, and so I just am very fond of him. I mean, as a human being, he's very. Uh, in some ways, I sometimes I think I, 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 I like and have affection for people who are very different than I am, that have, uh, I don't think I'm a particularly generous person. Hmm. And most of the people that I love are very generous and kind. <laughs> and so in some ways, I kind of admire them and somehow thinking that if I'm near them, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get some of that. So he is a, a person with a... Uh, with deep feelings and a big heart. And um, the costumes were uh, by Doris Black, and Doris Black is a local costume designer, and uh, the, the costumes kind of came, Lorraine, you were the, you were still in the, you were gone. I was gone. You're gone. I love Lorraine, I've worked with <laughs> a couple of times, so I was sad when she left. But uh, who else, what were the other collaborators? There are none others. I think yeah. you got it. I yeah. got it. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> They're all kind and generous. <laughs> Just like you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, I, I think you, I mean, well, I will, 
I shouldn't say this, so I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, the, I, what is it, the sociopath or psychopath? Sociopath, for people that don't quite know, don't, don't know what to do with their feelings. They don't know if they even wonder if they have any, and so they mimic. Mm. And so I th but there's another part of the mimicking, I don't think I'm a sociopath, but, <laughs> but the mimicking part, you know, is about practicing. If you practice behavior, then it will start to change you. It will start to become a part of who you are. And so that's what I've done. I, I uh, you know, uh, you were talking about the environment in the studio. You, you, Peter used to say, we'd be nice to my dancers. Because um, I think sometimes in the past I was not so nice. I was not so generous to people. But, I, but ultimately, I, I learned that it, that doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work. And so I mimic the behavior that I see in others that, that I admire. And I, I believe that I've become a, a better person because of that. Not that I'm, I always succeed at being a better person. But I'm, I try. <laughs> so he's continuing. <laughs> you know, I, I was sort of proud of not mentioning the pandemic for a long time, but I, I think it would be wrong not to mention it because, especially in the context of creators, because it really, every time a creator is faced with one hand tied behind the back, they figure out a way to make art, to make dance. Um, Danny, I know during that period, you worked in film quite a bit. Um, tell us what the silver lining was from that period where you were forced to work in a different way. Oh, I, it was funny actually, I had just had my second child just before um, the pandemic hit. Um, so I was already in lockdown. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, welcome everyone. Um, and. I had already weirdly arranged to do rehearsals via Zoom because of right. having um, Gigi. And so I was kind of already in that mode. And so it just continued for a lot longer than I would have liked. Um, but yeah, I, I did end up pivoting to film like so many um, choreographers and everyone. Um, and I discovered a love <laughs> for film and I, I think I create in a similar way to how one creates film. Um, I really try and think about where I want to draw the eye and zooming in on certain elements. I think that's what choreographers probably innately do and so I could really accentuate that with film. I had a lot more power um, on stage, you hope that people are looking where you want them to look, okay. um, but with film, you force them to. <laughs> yeah. um, you crop out everything else. Uh, so I found that um, learning about film um, and diving into that medium was uh, therapeutic, um, revealing. I learned a lot about myself as a choreographer, and I kind of bring, bring what I learned onto the stage now. Um, and it kept, um, so many of us going, uh, yeah. and so I'm very grateful <laughs> for it, and yeah, yeah. it was good. Donald, yeah. we brought you here to make a film for PMB. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Um, how was that period for you? How did it, how did creation ensue during that time? Uh, I think at first it was, it was a shopper. It was very difficult. Uh, with the, I, I, my first thought 
uh, was how am I going to make work? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, like, well, how am I going to work? I mean, I didn't think, oh, am I going to die or anything like that, like, I'm going to make work. And so, uh, but then once, the, I mean, I think the biggest challenge was not uh, so much putting work on, on, on the film, was actually how do you rehearse it, how you create it. So, you know, so with, with PMB, what I did was the, because of the protocols, so I had, there were two casts, one cast was in one room, another cast was in the, uh, another room. And then at one point, uh, it changed, and I couldn't be in the room with the, the second cast because they were in a different pod. Then, and then there was one dancer, Ku, had his own room. By, by, you know. And so uh, I, I think that, and I think that's one of the things that's interesting about film is that what you do, you do work in, you have to think of things in pieces, and then you go, how will it be put together that way? And so uh, I, ultimately, I think I loved it, the, the, the process of being in it and the challenges. I mean, I did several film things for Spectrum during that time. It was interesting. What was, what was disheartening, actually, is that many people didn't want to look at dance that way. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then it was always this, when we get back to doing it the way we did it before, but I thought there was a lot to be learned, to be gained by that, that experience. I was glad to see that you've continued uh, 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 presenting things via uh, film, uh, and that you still have the, the, what do you call it? The film festival? The film, film festival, festival yeah. yeah. And I, I, I just think that's great. I wish more people would. I mean, I think, uh, I, I was very inspired. I mean, I watched a lot of other people's work during that period. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, and uh, I, I was very inspired by the San Francisco Ballet did a piece that was they used the music from Vertigo, mm -hmm. and they uh, and I it was so it was it was so beautiful and so emotional and so sweeping, <laughs> and uh, and I thought you know you don't get to see the dancers on stage that way, yeah, and so. I, I think that anytime these challenges come up, I, I, I think, as you said, uh, uh, artists are used to, we problem solve. That's what we do. Yeah. We problem solve. So we just solve the problem, however it is that we need to. <laughs> no money. We need to make work. We got that. <laughs> we do it all the time. So. Um, I, I want to open it up to questions for you, and I'll try to do my best to repeat the questions as they come in. But before we do that, um, each of you is the director of a company, artistic director of a company. Uh, Danny just appointed to Oregon Valley Theater, Donald the Spectrum Dance Theater. Um, how does it balance where you have to be a director of a company and then you have a choreographer within that needs to work as a choreographer? Is the conflict manageable? How do you do it? You can teach me away. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Uh, it's challenging. It's definitely challenging, and 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 it's challenging not just in, in, I think in terms of getting the work done, but your it challenges your relationship with the people you work with. Yeah. I mean, you know, and especially sometimes the dancers. Why are you away? Right. They may not say it. <coughs> it's a little bit the way children are. I think that when if you're away and you come back, or cats, they do this. <laughs> you know, like where have you been and why are you? You know, who are you anyway? And so you come know, back into the space. And so I, I, that's difficult. Also, I think it's difficult for boards. Sometimes, like, why, what, we're paying you to be here. What are you doing over there? Why can't you do it here? Yeah. And um, 
So I, I think that's the real, I think that's the real uh, challenge of it. I, I mean, the thing that I just thought of just now, it's like, it, a little bit, it's like being polyamorous. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, if there's a kind of need that you don't that it, it requires different relationships to satisfy certain aspects of your creativity. I mean, I I love working with with my company. I really do. I love seeing them and working with them. But I also love the experience of going and working with other companies. I mean, PNB feels like like a, a very special relationship to me yeah. that I have, and so. I wouldn't trade it in. I would. I would want to abandon it. Yeah, you can have both too. <laughs> uh, this is my first piece that I've choreographed since becoming an artistic director, and it was a very cathartic <laughs> experience. But I'm hopeful that it will be of benefit to OBT that I do step outside um, our bubble and experience other organizations and work with other dancers and learn from those experiences and bring back the good and the bad and all of it back to OBT and so I can make it a better organization through that experience. It's so easy to just get locked in your, in your ways and so this was something that we talked about at great length before I took the position of artistic director and it's something that the board has supported um, and the dancers, I think, are on board as well. Uh, but I, I, do, I, I do really look forward to having a consistent group of dancers that I can grow with. Um, and that is something that drew me to this position also, just that consistency, stability. Um, that you know maybe they're even starting my sentences instead of finishing them um and but then also having the opportunity to to step outside um i think i i know i definitely need that but i think it's um of benefit for the company yeah. i don't think it's um yeah i think we can all learn from each other yeah good well said I bet you have questions. I'll repeat them as I hear them. Yeah, go ahead. I'm just wondering how someone becomes a choreographer or decides to be a choreographer. I mean, when you're a little kid, do you draw stick figures in different positions or something? <laughs> or what leads someone down that path? Yeah, how does somebody get started in choreography? Did you know from a very young age that that's what you want to do, Donald? Uh, well, I, I think there probably the impulse, the impulse was there. I think from the time I was, I know, at around four years old, I start, uh, I'm going to say, composing parades with the local neighborhood kids. Oh, nice. and, uh, and we would do the parades. I uh, lived on a street that was a part of the, what are they called, with the tra traffic flow. And so at 5 o'clock, I knew all these cars would come by. So we had a performance every afternoon. <laughs> When I was in high school, I was a drum major of my high school marching band, and so I would choreograph things for that. But I didn't really have any desire to be a choreographer until much later. I mean, when I, I felt, and I say this about people should not choreograph unless they really, there's a need to choreograph. And so I had a need at around 26, 27, uh, and and it was that year that I also said, okay, uh, 
how I, my thinking from it was that, oh, uh, this was really fun, and two, people really liked it. And so <laughs> those two things kind of kept pushing me forward until I really committed to the doing it. So it's kind of like certain types of reinforcements, I think, that causes one to be a choreographer. Then. Yeah, I, I didn't choreograph parades, but uh, little performances yeah. with, with our friends, but I, I never wanted to be a choreographer. It wasn't on the agenda. Um, I was very focused on being a dancer. Um, and I, yeah, I never thought that what was going on inside my head, I think a, a lot of dancers hear music and visualize dance. Um, I think a what makes a choreographer different is they're able to communicate what's up here to a whole group of dancers. Um, and I didn't think I was capable of that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just focused on dance and it wasn't until I retired and I was a mum and I was asked to be part of this project-based dance company and I was breastfeeding at the time and had no childcare and so I would hire a babysitter for two hours uh, once a week to take part in this um, project based dance company. And so it was like the two hours that I had to myself. Yeah. And um, the choreographer was always late. And when you only have two hours, you're like, oh, we've got to make the most out of this. And so um, the other dancer that I was working with was like, well, let's make the most of it. Like, why don't, why don't you create something, Danny? And so, and we, we had a long history. He knew, he knew me really well. And I think he saw something in me. And so I did. I started choreographing a solo on him. And so he then suggested to the director of the company, why doesn't Danny just choreograph this piece? And so we brought another woman in and I created a duet. Um, and it was performed at uh, a gala in San Francisco where there's a lot of different dance companies that perform. And so there are a lot of directors <coughs> that saw this little piece. And from there I got another commission um, and I created something there and then got another commission and then it just evolved from there and I just I loved being in the studio and I felt like I had I could speak um, and yeah I didn't know it was there I didn't know the desire to be a choreographer was there until it was revealed to me um, yeah so I'm very thankful to my friend mm, <laughs> for seeing great. that in me that's interesting thank you Yes, Dan. Um, from Danny Rowe, you obviously love telling stories with dance, mm -hmm. um, but you're also, you've also made some plotless works. And uh, I've been lucky enough to see two of them, um, Fort Pixie and Little Scratch. Oh. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it was when I saw Little Scratch, I said, my gosh, she's really talented. Um, Thank you. There's a way in which there, there seems to be less constraint when you, you don't have to tell a story. So my question is, at this point in your life, are you interested in making more plotless works? Could you have imagined making a 20-minute plotless work for PNB? 
question for Danny, going back and forth between storied works. the question, please? I am. <laughs> the question for Danny, uh, she's made storied works and she's made plotless works. Um, how do you feel about both? And, and could this have perhaps been a more plotless work for PNB? Always. There's <laughs> always a possibility. <laughs> um, it's funny, though. I, it might appear plotless, like some of the works, that they always start with a story for me and maybe um, go off in a different direction or um, reveal, reveal themselves to be more open-ended or... Um, but it really just depends on my mood, depends on what I'm reading at the time, what I'm, who I'm talking to at the time, um, and that kind of sets the tone for what, what I'm going to create for a particular company. Um, like this situation where I was talking to a friend and introduced me to this story and I was like, I think that's it, I'm going to go with that right now. Um, but yeah, I'm not married to always doing stories and I'm not married to not. Um, it just depends on the moment. Mm -hmm. Yes? Um, you both have spoken about your experiences working in the studio with dancers in terms of creating work. And I'm curious to know what you think. I've seen some other programs list the choreography So a keen observation of both choreographers talking about their work in studio with dancers and how dancers contribute to the process. Um, many choreographers now, yourselves probably included, have noted that in programs. And how do you feel about that note or that acknowledgement, I should say? I am open to it. Um, but I think, at least from my experience and from the dancers that I've spoken to, that your job as a dancer is to collaborate with the choreographers. So in the title alone, dancer with PMB or dancer with MBT or whatever, it is um, it's known that you are a collaborator. Um, so to also acknowledge that in the program notes as well, um, we can do that, but it's also just known that if you're a dancer in the studio, you are a collaborator. Don't that's uh, that, that one's really tricky. I love what you just said. Uh, I'm on the uh, the board, the executive board of SCC, which is the uh, the the, the national um, union for choreographers and directors. And so this idea of, and actually the union was founded by, uh, was founded because Agnes DeMille, uh, with the work that she did in Oklahoma, uh, she didn't get any credit for really. And she certainly didn't get paid for it, you know. And she, and she does not own the rights, nor her estate, Rogers and Hammerstein owns the rights to that work. So, and so she convinced Bob Fosse at the time, who was an up and coming star in Broadway, like we need to start this union. Hmm. And so they did. So, one of the discussions inside the union at the moment is about what is choreography. 
and for the same, for the reasons that you brought up, there are many dan dancers are always involved in the creation of the work as collaborators. And then the idea of uh, uh, the question becoming, like, how do you define what that is, not just for the choreographers, but also for producers, because they don't really know what choreography is either, and so, or how it works, and that there are many different ways that choreography is uh, how, that choreography is not just dance steps. Mm -hmm. That that's, I think that's the important part of it, that it's not just the steps that are being done or the movement that is being done. It is a whole, it is the thinking around, it's the concept, the thinking behind what it is and how you arrive, how one arrives at that place. And so uh, I think it's really tricky. Sometimes I get really irritated um, and and sometimes I put in. I, uh, recently, I said uh, I used the word. What else, what's the word for the French word for studio? Atelier. Atelier. Yeah. Donald Byrd and Atelier. You know, to kind of acknowledge that it's not just the particular dancers that are in the room at that moment, but it's a kind of thinking that is the that the choreography is a result of. I've seen times when choreographers have tasked dancers with contributing choreographic passages, like make two eights here and we'll use it. And then I've seen the choreographer turn around to, to make that acknowledgement, which really feels fair. Mm -hmm. Because, um, but you know, to each his own good question. You guys have um, pieces to present tonight, dancers to coach and so on. It's been a great discussion. I want to thank you both and thank you audience for joining us. <laughs> Thank you.